I think a lot of aspiring writers try to get into it with the idea of, okay, I'm going to tell this message. I want to get this message across. And that's the wrong way to approach it, especially when you're talking about young people. They don't want an after school special. They want a good book. You know, they want a good story. They want something that's going to, you know, get them to turn the page. You are competing against Instagram and TikTok and YouTube. You got to hold their attention. And to hold their attention, you don't need to teach or preach to them. You got to tell a good story. So that's what I try to focus on. Angie Thomas is a superstar tween book author. Her first book, The Hate You Give, was a bestseller that became a movie. Her second book, On the Come Up, is going to become a movie. She's unstoppable and brilliant and fun and just such a joy to talk to about writing and her work and adaption to Hollywood and life. And <sighs> she's the pride of Mississippi. I enjoyed talking to her immensely. You'll get half of this conversation here for free. You'll get the whole thing if you support us and join us over at Patreon. Subscribe at patreon.com slash show to get the 60-minute version of my conversation with Andy, all of our Wednesday interviews, our Friday Patreon exclusives, and so much more. Let's get into it. It's my girl Angie Thomas on Torre Show. What do you love about writing? I, what do I love about writing? I have to remind myself of this all the time because when you're in the thick of writing, you get frustrated with writing. Um, I think though, what I love about it is getting to the end and looking back at it and realizing you've told a story. Um, I, I love writing for young people. I love writing stories that pull them in. Um, I love writing mirrors for them. That's what I love about writing. Mirrors. Yes. So that they see themselves in the book. Yes, yes. Specifically Black kids, because they don't get enough of that. They don't get enough mirrors. Um, and they deserve it just as much as anybody else. So I want to show them their true, authentic, beautiful selves. Yeah, my son is um, 13. And when your book came out, it was a little above him. But it was definitely like looking through the bookstore like, oh, wow, like this really speaks to the world that he lives in. He was fully aware of Eric Garner and Black Lives Matter. And like this fully speaks to the real world that he's in rather than like, you know, some fantasy about like a white kid who like, I mean, like some of some YA books now kind of go there. There's a book about um, I remember seeing about a deaf girl and, you know, there can be some. You know, there could be some difficult stories, but your book definitely stood out. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to know that. <laughs> I'm happy to know that. But that's for me, that's what it's all about. I've learned, if nothing else, I learned from hip hop that authenticity is the way to go. That's what young people gravitate towards. And sometimes my books are a little too real for adults. They're like, oh, do you want to talk about this with kids? But I'm like... Teenagers are having these conversations. These are things they're aware of. Why, why would I hold back in my books? So I, I try to be as real and authentic with them as possible with whatever story I'm telling. What do you hate or dislike about writing? <laughs> the actual sitting down and getting it done part. Because like, 
I have so many ideas in my head and it's just, I could sit here and think about them all day, but to actually sit down and write them, sometimes there are days where it's like pulling teeth, you know, it's just hard. Um, and, and then what I also dislike is the pressure that comes with being a published writer. You can let it affect you or you can let it not affect you. But there are times where I'm like, okay, I'm now Angie Thomas. This is like a name and a brand now. I got to come correct. I got to do this. I got to do that. And I hate that part. And I try not to let it affect me. So um, the business but when side. You, but when you sit at the computer now, you hear the voices of there's an industry that's waiting for Angie Thomas and what that's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a struggle, you know? Um, and, and that's something I try not to deal with now. I try not to think about that. I try not to worry about what the audience is going to be like, which daytime shows are going to let me on to talk about this, you know, or even on the film side, how much will this scene cost to film? I try not to think about that stuff anymore. Um, because, but you do. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> It's, it's still there. It's still there. And I have to fight like everything to push it aside um, because it will it will literally snuff out my creativity. Yeah. Uh, so I, I can't I can't fall victim to it. No, you I mean, I you got to. This is not advice just for myself. I think about I got to like try to close off the world and mm-hmm. say whatever I want to say and almost forget that it's going to be read and just, just throw whatever you want at the page as if it's only going to be read by you. And then when you're about to put it out, you're like, Oh my God, Oh my God, oh my God, people are going to see that. But like, if you don't forget at some level that it's going to be read, then you won't yeah. be your most courageous self. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the only reason I'm able to write the books that I write is because I start forgetting and stop worrying. Like when the hate you give, came out before it came out. I was just writing because I wanted to write this story. I didn't think at the time, oh, this, this book is going to end up one of the top 10 most banned books, you know, <laughs> in a year or so. And, you know, then when I got into my second novel on the come up, I did let the worry of, oh, is this book going to get banned, get into my head for a bit. And I had to really just silence that. Um, I can't control what happens once the book is out there. All I can control is what I'm doing when it's right in front did of it me. Sh- That's it. Did those worries and those voices, did, did it shape some of the choices that you made? Um, if nothing else, with on the come up specifically, it helped shape the story. Because this was um, in the thick of the hate you give being banned and having school districts and police unions speak out against it. And I had to look to some of my heroes and figure out which ones were censored at one point or another. And as someone who loves hip hop, all of my favorite rappers, they've been censored. And so if not, I decided with that story to talk about a young girl who makes a song that um, goes viral for the wrong reasons. And suddenly she finds herself being censored. So it was kind of like my middle finger to all the people that ban that you get. <laughs> I mean, if if you're going to get back at people, get back at them through a character, get back at them through a storyline. So it fueled it for that. But afterwards, you know, when I was starting to work on Concrete Rose, I knew from the get go, yep, this book is going to get banned. And I'm cool with that. So I said, since I know it will be, do whatever the heck I want to do in this story. Don't hold back. 
So is so you talk about the second book as a creative response to the response of the first book. Mm-hmm. Where is Concrete Rose a response to the conversation that came before? I would say Concrete Rose is the I don't give a you know what <laughs> response. Concrete Rose goes there. It, it talks about things that are going to make adults so uncomfortable that they ban this book. We're talking about teen parenthood, which means you're also talking about teen sex, teen pregnancy. And these are things that adults do not like to discuss when it comes to young people. But these are things that are happening in their lives. So I said, you know what? I'm not going to push back. I'm going to talk about it. We're going to talk about condoms. We're going to talk about the uh, the the way that the pullout method is not dependable birth control. We're going to talk about that because they need to know these things. And, you know, if it gets banned, fine. That's fine. I'm cool with that because that means this is a discussion that actually needs to be had. And that also means young people are just going to want to read it more because, when you tell teenagers this is something you shouldn't read, it makes them want to read it more. They want it. They want it. They want it. They want it. Um, when you talk about this, being the sort of writer who feels like she is pulling teeth when you're alone and writing, um, are you the sort of person who's like, you know, like, 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 I want to say like balling up piece of paper, but you, it's not a typewriter anymore, but like, like. Oh, I don't know what this sentence should be. I'm stuck with this word. What would this character say and do? I don't know. And like a lot of struggling and fighting to get. And and then maybe you you get a breakthrough and you are able to write a couple paragraphs and then you get stuck. Like, is that kind of how it goes for you? Yeah, actually. Yeah, that's how it goes for me. That's pretty accurate. Have you been watching me secretly? Um, <laughs> that was just me. That was just me yesterday, last night. Um, just, yeah, getting into that point where it feels like I can't even think of the right word for this character to use. Um, because when I write characters, I want them to have a distinct voice. And that means some things they will and won't say. So certain words they will or won't use. And sure. I have to be very deliberate with every single word choice. And so yesterday I was struggling with this character and I was like, okay, is this how they really say it? No, I don't think so. I'm going to walk away from this for a while. And then finally, Eureka, I figured out one line and that opened the floodgates. So, yep, that's that's about right. <laughs> I know I talked to um, Terry McMillan a lot and she does a lot of care. I mean, like a ton of character work before she even starts writing the piece to where she's in the flow of it and her character's like, I would not say that. I would not do that. I would do this. And she's like, I never had it in mind for you to say or do that, but you're talking to me now. Like, I'm trying to follow you. And um, do you spend that kind of time figuring out your characters before you start writing? Or are you like me? You just sort of launch into it and it's sort of going as you're going. I try to figure out a lot about them um, beforehand, specifically like their personality or maybe things about their life, because that can inform the way that they speak that can inform the way that they interact with others. So um, with Concrete Rose, specifically with Maverick, I knew so much about him already that it was pretty easy because he's a character from The Hate You Give. Um, And and knowing that he's somebody who didn't code switch in The Hate You Give meant that at 17, he definitely wasn't code switching, you know? So that informed the way I wrote, not just his dialogue, but his inner thoughts, his narration. Um, and, and knowing where he came from in his background helped 
me with figuring that out as well. So yeah, I try to know as much as I can, but I try not to know too much. Like I ain't got to know your birthday or your sign or nothing like that, but I at least want to know some important stuff. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Well, what do you have to know? I have to know about their family, their family background. Um, I okay. have to know, you know, what was their family like, their parents, if they had parents, that sort of thing. Um, I have to know about any trauma they may have had. I have to know about their upbringing, where they're living or who they're living with or the community they're in. Um, I have to know about their friendships um, and I have to know how they view themselves because that's very informative of a character, specifically when you're talking about teenagers. How do they see themselves in the world? Because for them, that's the world, them. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. their own world. So if I can figure out how they see themselves in the world, 
that helps inform how I write them. You're an adult, and yet you're able to speak really convincingly to teenagers, young adults, not even grown teenagers. Your books are really for like young, right? Like young teenagers, really, right? That's your core audience. Mm-hmm. Your core audience is like 13 to 15, 16? Yeah, about, uh, I have 17 year olds too. So okay. yeah, okay. yeah. From like 13 till 17 is where I'm at. Uh, so how do you, as an adult, know what they want and have that connection with where their heads, because as soon as we become adults, we start to forget what it mm-hmm. is to be a kid. Um, how do you have that connection? Well, I read a lot of different YA books. That helps. Um, I talk to young people. Um and interact with them um, on social media and stuff appropriately, obviously, but you know, but I, I have young people in my life that I listen to talk to. um, And I try to remember what it was like to be that age. Um, And 16, 17, um, 15, even it's, it's a time where you're still trying to figure everything out. Um, And And yet you know, everything. Yeah, exactly. And yet you think you know everything. It's such a balance. You know, you you want people to think you know everything, but deep down inside, you were still trying to figure it all out. And then the world also makes you feel like by a certain age, you should know exactly what you want to do with your life. And you're fa- and you're approaching that quickly. Like by the time a kid is 18, we make them feel as if, yep, you got to know what you want to study in college. You got to know what you want to be when you leave, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, who knows that? Who really, really knows that? So right. it's about remembering that struggle and remembering that balance um, and remembering what it feels like to be on the brink of adulthood while still wanting deep down to be a kid at times. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just about listening and paying attention, uh, paying attention above all. Are there grown up books that helped inform where you are, I mean, like just the last thing you said made me think a lot about Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that and there's other, if there's other adult books that that help inform why that YA mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for me to say that there are. Yes. I mean, I I read a lot of adult books. I, I read a lot of nonfiction. Um, I'm huge on biographies. I, I love reading about people. And I think what would inform me the most are the biographies that, or specifically the autobiographies that talk about famous people when they were young. Um, you know, I, I love the autobiography of Malcolm X and yes. reading about his days as Detroit Red, you know, yes. and still trying to figure himself out. That for me helps me in writing young people. So anytime I can read a story about someone who went on to do something great and they talk about what they were like as a teenager or as a kid, it can help me figure out these young people I'm writing for even more so Um, because I want to write characters who have the potential to go on to be great so that these kids who have the potential to go on and be great will see themselves and recognize what's within them. I mean, the autobiography of Malcolm X changed my life, changed a lot of people's lives. I think I was 20 either 19 or 20 when I read it. And it, I, I, re, I can remember where I was sitting when I finished it. And it just had this profound transformative impact on me and on so many people. Um, yeah. But in retrospect, mm-hmm. Malcolm is clearly creating an image with that book. And yeah. if you read Manning Marable's biography of Malcolm, um, 
it's extraordinary. And he's still this incredibly inspiring figure. But Manning is like, here's what it really was. And mm-hmm. like breaks down some things that's like, you know, in the autobiography, kind of takes some liberties here. He leaves this out. And he's still incredibly inspiring. But it that like that that just took me to a whole other place of understanding who he was. Yeah. I'm gonna have to check that out then. Yeah. I haven't read that one yet. I gotta check that one out. I gotta no, check that powerful. one out. It's but I was around that same age when I read the autobiography. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamine a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is mostly secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from tinderfoot tv campside media and iheart podcasts radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. And I was going to a mostly white, upper-class, private Christian school in conservative Mississippi. So you can imagine the radical change it ignited within me. I suddenly wanted to burn that entire campus down. But... (laughs) So yeah, it changed me too. Hey there, this is Christina Gonzalez, and I'm so excited for you to check out my new podcast, Politics of Food. On this show, we explore the political, economic, and social implications of food creation and consumption, both locally and worldwide. Should we eat first or should we protest first? Like, okay, (laughs) let's organize, let's talk to the press, let's get our word out, and then let's sit down and eat. Follow Politics of Food with Christina Gonzalez at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. You know, one thing I see a lot is that the sorts of issues that young people care about has shifted immensely. Um, yes. My son, two of his uh, friends came over one day and we were, we were having dinner and we started talking to them. And it became clear the immense, like for us, when I was that age, it was very much about race and racism and figuring that out. For them, it was very much about LGBTQ issues. And everybody in the class is either within that group or an ally, you know, and th- that is very much like 
the center of what they're thinking and talking about. They're not really even thinking and talking about race that much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and of course, you know, environmentalism, huge issue for them, not something we really thought and talked about. I just, I wonder, like, the if you find, like, the ball or the playing field sort of keeps shifting for you mm. as you're trying to figure out YAs. You know, it does and it doesn't because I've, I've come across so many kids who are also passionate about Black Lives Matter. And I've come sure. across rural kids in rural Texas who were telling me they want to understand Black Lives Matter more. And they had uh, one person protest at their school or something like that, you know. Um, but the beautiful thing is young people are willing to understand lives beyond their own. This is what we're starting to see. They they care about things beyond themselves. They care about issues that don't even affect them, but that affect um, marginalized people or whatever. You know, they care beyond themselves. That's what we're seeing so much with this new generation. And I, I just want to write stories that hopefully give them some windows or mirrors into those lives. You know, um, and I, I try not to focus on the issues too much because I believe if you tell a solid story, a young person will read it and they're going to walk away with something from it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Your, your, your books have been, I mean, you've talked about that, like, you know, the books is a form of activism, right? Mm -hmm. But, and that's great. But if you don't tell a compelling story, like we're sitting around the campfire or what have you. And she says, and then he said, and everyone wants to go, and then what happened? If you don't have that, you yeah. have nothing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of aspiring writers try to get into it with the idea of, okay, I'm going to tell this message. I want to get this message across. And that's the wrong way to approach it, especially when you're talking about young people. They don't want an after school special. They want a good book. You know, they want a good story. They want something that's going to, you know, get them to turn the page. You are competing against Instagram and TikTok and YouTube. You got to hold their attention. And to hold their attention, you don't need to teach or preach to them. You got to tell a good story. So that's what I try to focus on. Yeah, you're writing 200-page novels in the (laughs) era of ADD and TLDR and yeah. <laughs> I, I mean and I'm up against the same thing you know uh, uh you know when I when I write my books I mean like I wonder how do we as writers need to adjust to that to the 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 breath of competition for <laughs> attention uh for the with the reader I think good storytelling still wins out I really do um and it's it's just a matter of knowing your audience. So with me, knowing that I write for young people, knowing that I write for teenagers who are, you know, into all these different things, I want to write stories that are, you know, that will pull them in. I want to write um, vast worlds. Even when I'm talking about a neighborhood, like a Garden Heights, I still want it to feel like a real world that they're stepping into. Um, I want to keep them interested. I want to have turns and twists and all of these things. Um, I want to have a character with a strong voice. So relying on, focusing on the elements of storytelling and making them as good as possible, you know, making the voice as strong as possible, making the plot as fast paced as possible. I can try to, I can do my best to keep their attention. So yeah, I, I, it's still possible. We can still compete with those things. 
We just have to still tell good stories. Honestly, we have to compete with those things. <laughs> so, y- y- your 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 origin story as a writer goes back to being six, witnessing a shootout, mm-hmm. and then mom taking you to the library to show you a whole other side of life. Can you describe the shootout that yeah. that started it all for you? Yeah, I was in the park that was down the street from my house, um, and me and some other kids were on the playground, and these two drug dealers got into an argument And one was on a motorcycle and the other was on foot. And one took off across the playground and the other stood back where they were originally were. And he started shooting across the playground at the guy on the motorcycle. And us kids were in the crossfire. And somehow none of us got hit. None of us got hit that day. It was a miracle. But I got on my bike and I rode off six years old. And ironically enough, I rode to Martin Luther King Jr. Drive. Like, you know, if you're in the middle of a shootout, go to the street named after the man who was for peace, you know, nonviolence. So my mom found me and she saw that I was okay, And she put me in the car, put my bike in the trunk and she drove me up Medgar Evers Boulevard in Jackson to the Medgar Evers Library. And she told the librarian what had just happened. And she said, I know that, you know, I can't put her on the plane and take her somewhere so she can see other parts of the world. But I want her to know that there's more to the world than this. Can you please give her some books? So, you know, the best thing you can tell the librarian is give my kids some books. They're going to load you up. So she loaded my arms up that day with books. And I was suddenly transported through those stories into different worlds and different lives. And it helped me realize there was more to the world than my little corner. So that changed it. It's they books can definitely function as like a passport in that you feel yourself transported. And now you are, you know, in Harlem with the invisible man or, 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 you know, in, uh, wherever in Chicago with the bigger Thomas or wherever, like you are, you are taken there. Um, I mean that, that, and, and I guess if you're telling the story with just enough detail and movement and just sort of like enveloping the reader, Mm -hmm. they are going to go there with you and they're going to take that trip. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with kids, they do it a bit easier than us adults. They they are willing okay. to um, suspend reality a bit more. So like as a kid growing up, I was a huge Harry Potter fan. And okay. those books literally transported me into Hogwarts. And I didn't, I ignored the gunshots outside in my neighborhood because Harry was about to take down Voldemort, you know, that sort of thing. So they, they for young people especially, it's so important it's so important to give them that, um, not just to give them books that show them themselves, but also to give them those escapes sometimes. Um, so what you learn from J.K. Mm-hmm. Rowling that you have taken into your work? One, don't be a transphobe. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, Jesus two, Christ. Yeah, two. But two, I did learn from her the beauty of telling stories with, people who feel real and whole. One thing about Harry Potter was that it felt like every single character in that book had their own book 
and they were just making a guest appearance in Harry's for a little bit. They felt like they had their own lives outside of the page. They felt like real people. And the importance of that really resonated with me with world building. So a lot of people comment that I have large casts in my books and that everybody feels real and whole. And that's something I learned from her. So I am I am appreciative of that. I feel like when I, I remember reading a couple of years ago, one of the books or two of the books to my kids, I, I've, I've, I seem to remember feeling like she's a really good visual writer, that, that she has these great sentences where you can really see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important to helping them create the dream in their mind. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's really good at that. Um, I, I wish she was a better person, but she's really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> it really gets in the way. It does. It does. It's hard to support anything else. I don't think I'll be, I'm not supporting anything else she does because of that. But she doesn't need my support. She's filthy no. rich. But it's not like a slip of the tongue no. and then she apologized and like, okay, like, like it's like, no, this is where I stand. Like, right. this is, and like, what? Yes. And, and mainly let me come because, back again. And let me come back and say it again. Let me come back and, and, and nobody, literally nobody, JK, let me say it again. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, Yeah. And the fact that she is so successful and has so much money and influence and power, that's the reason why she's able to just keep saying it over and over again and, and, and repeat it and not back down from it because she knows it doesn't matter if people cancel me. I'm good. So right, right, we created right. this monster. We, <laughs> I grew up reading Judy Bloom. She must have written 40 books for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and she is far older than you are and having this thriving career um, as a YA author. Um, so do you see, uh, are, are you a fan of hers? And do you yes. see yourself staying within YA for years and decades? Or at some point do you say, okay, let's, Let's 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 do something else. Let's try a, a, like I don't even want to say age up, but like mm-hmm. let's try let's try something else. Yeah. Well, I was a fan of her books, and I did get to meet her about a year or two ago at a conference, and I oh. was very starstruck. So that's my little nerd moment. Um, <laughs> I right now I'm kind of aging down. I'm writing a book right now with a 12 year old protagonist. Um, I I gotta take a little break from teenagers. No offense to them, but oh boy, being in teenagers head for a couple of months is a lot. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, I wrote a 17 year old boy. Um, I was in the head of a 17 year old boy for months. I need a break. So, um, maybe one day I will write something for adults or even college age students. Cause we don't see books about college age young people nearly enough. Um, but yeah, maybe one day I'll, I'll age up a bit. Um, I think there's going to come a time where I don't get the slang that young people are using. I don't get the technology that they're into. Um, oh, that will come. Trust oh, yeah. Me. Oh, yeah. That's going to come. And I think that's the moment where I'm like, you know what? Let me back off. Let me not do this right now, because I feel like. When you're writing for them, you need to get them where they are at that moment. And again, there's going to come a point where I'm not into the PlayStation 5 like they are and stuff like that. Or PlayStation 6. My kids make fun of me for different things. And I'm like, you know who you're talking to? And they're like, yeah, you're old. That's who I'm talking to, an old ass man. I'm like... 
go to your room. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, it, it's interesting that you're able to r- truly inhabit their minds. Um, and I'm really curious about that thought process, but also quite courageous to, uh, to, to, to lay a book around a boy, right? Cause I, I would not make a female main character. I would feel too much pressure. Mm-hmm. I would feel like you're not going to get it right. You know, what, you know, Baldwin, write what you know. I, yeah. I you know, I, I, even a boy, I know not, like a girl or a woman, I'm like, uh, you know, I don't want to risk it, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, you, you, t- you clearly you took on that risk. Yeah. And it was scary. It was absolutely terrifying. Um, but I had to do the work. And for me, that meant talking to black boys and black men, having the conversations, um, reading books by black men about black boys, um, et cetera, et cetera. And that is the only reason I was able to do this. Um, I would let black boys and black men read early drafts so that I could make sure I was doing it right. Or, you know, um, I'd get their opinions and and get their insight. And I'm thankful for that. That's the only way I could do it. Uh, I'll never tell anybody, you know, don't write this or don't do it. Don't write outside of yourself. But I always say, if you're going to do it, respect the people that you're writing about enough to talk to people you're writing about. But um, even though it's fiction, you're doing research before Mm -hmm. you get started. Yes. Yeah. Lots of research. I had to research um, specifically with this book. I had to research um, things about babies because I don't have children. And Maverick has a three month old son in this book. I had to research that, you know, uh, I had to research gangs and the hierarchies. Um, I had to research stuff like condoms and things like that to make sure I know, even though as an adult, I know, okay, but you know, I got to find out for a 17 year old boy, what kind of information is out there? You know, what is he being told by his friends and stuff? So there were all these different things I had to look into that I didn't think I would have. But as I got into the book, I realized there's some stuff I need to double check on. Mm, mm, that's powerful. I mean, talk about inhabiting the character's mind for a while. I mean, like, that. that I, I think I know what you mean, but, like, mm-hmm. what do you really mean? Mm-hmm. Well, being in Maverick's head meant seeing the world the way he would see it, um, right. even when I wasn't writing him. Um, and, and I think that's just a habit that I get into with every character that I write. I kind of take them on a little bit mentally. So when I'm watching the news, and at this time I'm seeing the former president have, com- have press gatherings or whatever, how would Maverick process something like this? Um... You know, um, I am looking up stuff on video games more. I'm researching that more. I'm trying to figure out what he would be into. And then I have to keep in mind, this is 98, 99. So what is a kid like him into back then? I had to listen to music from back then in that era. I had to watch movies from back then in that era. I looked up TV shows from that era. I looked up fashion from that era. So it really just meant absorbing his world and really stepping into his shoes so that when I did sit down to write him, his worldview was the worldview for me at that moment. And, and that's the only way I could write him.
For more from me and Angie, another half hour of great conversation about writing in Hollywood and living the dream, join us over at patreon.com slash show. Thanks so much to Angie for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, Michelle Brenda Cox, Kathy F., Dr. Keena Murphy, Earl Dorsey, and Theotokis. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. <laughs>